You are listening to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast, a podcast that encourages leaders pursuing the Great Commission. Welcome to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Withers. I wanted to thank you for listening today. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to go and hit subscribe so you can easily get some new episodes when they come out every Wednesday in whatever uh, podcast app that you listen on. Great Commission Leadership is a podcast that brings on amazing ministry leaders every week and highlights how they are fulfilling the Great Commission and their unique context. And this week's episode features Josh King. He's the lead pastor of Second Baptist Conway in Conway, Arkansas. Josh, thanks so much for coming on Great Commission Leadership. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on again. I'm excited to, to hear from you. I, I first uh, got uh, to hear from Josh. He's one of the hosts of the EST podcast. I've had mm-hmm. uh, a few other guys on in the past. Uh, excited to hear about uh, how God's at work in uh, Conway through your church and uh, excited to just get going with that. So let's just start. I'd love to hear a little bit about you and how you've gotten into the ministry you're in today. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I've been at Second Conway for two years now. September was two years, so we're yep. working on the third. And this is about my 19th, 20th year in ministry, in uh, full-time Christian ministry. And so got started young. I mean, the, the it's a it sounds like I'm joking when I tell the story of how I got hired on that first church and those sort of things. But this pastor came to visit us. Our family had visited. I was 17, 18, about that age. And the pastor's like, what are you doing with your life? And I said, well, I want to be a youth minister, right? And he said, well, we need a youth minister. So give me your resume. I took a piece of paper and I wrote my name down and gave it to him. And I said, that's it. That's my resume. I have no resume. And uh, through a series of events and some conversations, they ended up hiring me. I always say they should not have hired me and I should not have taken it, but Mm -hmm. we both did. We both made that mistake. And it turned out to be three, four wonderful years. I loved Mm -hmm. that church and still love that church. Uh, Great ministry. I still have good relationships with the people that were a part of that church. And, you know, way leads on to way, different situations. I wanted to get married. And so that, you know, had to go to a bigger church for that. I wanted to have children and all those sort of things, just kind of schooling, all that stuff. And then eventually we looked up and here we are 20 years later and I'm in the middle of Arkansas. (laughs) God does what God does. That's right. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the two years that you've been at Second Baptist Conway. Um, tell a little bit about what the church was like as you came in, and then maybe what are some of the first priorities that you had upon taking over in leadership there? Well, uh, so the church, it's a good church. Uh, about five, six years ago, it relocated from the downtown over here to this side of town. Uh, which if you're not familiar with Conway, that means nothing. But essentially we (laughs) we moved from the downtown to right across the street from the university. And um, like Lexington, you know, um, Conway is a college town. There are three universities here. And uh, the biggest one, the University of Central Arkansas, is I I can look out my window right now. I'm looking at the University of Central Arkansas right there. So uh, we're very close to that. And that changed a lot of the dynamics. It really did. It changed from a downtown large um, historic church, everything you would think of with a historic Baptist church downtown to now being very contemporary building right across the street from a college. The previous pastors had served 13, 14 years. There were two of those. Hmm. And um, the the most recent of those really great pastor. He's the one who moved us over here. 
I'm friends with him. Um, he's got a just real compassionate heart, those sort of things. There was one in between us that was here for 16 months and, uh, that didn't, that didn't go well. It ended abruptly. And, uh, so then they, they did a search and, you know, one of the, one of the stories is that people were shocked that they ended up hiring me. Um, and it okay. So here's the story. So I've heard there was an audible gasp when they showed the picture of my family and I, hmm. because they so did not anticipate that they thought hmm. the committee was going to go and find, um, and there's nothing wrong with these guys, but what I'm about to describe is what they thought they were going to go find. You got the hair parted, the suit and tie, wife plays the piano, huh. um, a little bit of spitting and sputtering during the sermons, that kind of Southern Baptist pastor. And that's just not me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when they saw me and um, my wife and I are, you know, she's Cuban and I'm white, white, and she's dark, dark. And uh, then we have a African son and uh, our family looked extremely different than most mm -hmm. of the, the families that they saw. I have a tattoo and that's different than what they were expecting. Um, my preaching. So I, I intentionally wore a shirt that showed my tattoo when I came in view of call. Cause I want, hmm. it's not like I wanted you to see my tattoo. It's just, I didn't want this to be a surprise later. Yeah. You so, want to know what you're getting pretty much. Let's right? do that. Yeah. So, yeah. so coming in, there was just a very, ex there was an expectation in the church. There was an expectation in the community. We are not that church. That is uh, the historic downtown Baptist church anymore. And so kind of writing that, letting people know, letting them know that we're not what you might expect. And then just being sort of compassionate towards the staff and the leadership, that was a major uh, sticking point that I needed to kind of communicate that I love the staff. I, I'm all about shared sacrificial leadership. That's my heartbeat. And so getting in here and instituting some of those changes was what we were trying to do. And I believe that God really helped. We were running about 600 when I took it. Pre-COVID, we were running around 1,100. So that's within two years. And um, I mean, if you believe the numbers now, which we just got to do the best we can with the numbers, we're still mm -hmm. charting right there about 11, 1,200. So mm. God's been good. God's been faithful. And um, it's a great church. Yeah, that's good. So talk a little bit more about um, coming in. So you said there, the guy immediately before you was there for 16 months. Mm -hmm. um, you know what were what were some of the nuances between coming into a guy? I don't I don't know the story. You don't have to go into it, but sure. coming into what was probably a you know somewhat of a, a shocked system, but also had a, a tenure of long faithful pastors before. Uh, what what was kind of the balance and like your your mindset going into like how you were going to lead like your first year or two? I mean, um, there was a lot so. Most of what I'm very passionate about with pastoring happens behind the scenes. So mm. I'm a systems guy. I'm an administrative guy. I really love systems. I really enjoy um, structure that helps the staff to be fulfilled in their job, that helps the leadership to be informed, um, to get a lot of buy-in. These are the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about. So. Mm. That's something that I needed to work on behind the scenes. And that was something that was here very much in need of in a number of different ways from staff structure to just the way that the staff and the church communicate with one another. All of that sort of stuff was something that I needed to approach as it specifically relates to the tenure of pastors. 
I knew going in, there is, and this is always true if any of your listeners are younger, there is always this assumption that younger pastors are not going to be around for very long. Mm-hmm. So there was a there was a joy that the church had went and got a younger pastor, but there's also a fear that if we like him, he won't be here for very long. Mm-hmm. So there's just there are some steps that I can talk about, but there are things that we do intentionally to try to communicate a love for the area and for these people that helps to resolve that. Um, the situation before me was infidelity. So with infidelity, you have, there's, there's these subconscious ideas in the seat of the pastor that has to do with not being faithful, not loving Hmm. for the long haul. Hmm. So you want to communicate that um, not only that you love your wife, but also that you love the church and you love Hmm. the community. So there were a bunch of things that we did intentionally to try to communicate those things. And that's just something you got to be aware of. I've told everybody, you know, in my previous church, I was, you know, seven years younger when I took that. And they, there were some folks that had a problem with a 28 year old pastor. And I said, well, the good news is every day I get older. So, you know, I can't do anything about the current age. You just got to kind of, um, lead like you're a little older, um, Mm. you know, act your age is what I say. Um, pastor your age. And I think that's something that younger pastors often get in trouble with because we try to pastor, I guess, younger than us, or we really are obsessed with our age um, Mm. and what we wear and the way we act. And so all of that had psychological issues with this church in acting and and behaving in a certain age. Yeah. So kind of thinking through about uh, your all's community, where you guys are in Arkansas, Mm -hmm. already mentioned that uh, university town university city in addition to that what are some of the uh what are some of the different characteristics that impact how you all do ministry in your area oh yeah i mean there's a bunch so if you're if you're not from arkansas you probably have a a bunch of good arkansas jokes you know and um (laughs) coming from texas i had a number of i still have them Uh and i still think they're funny uh but (laughs) there is a perception of arkansas that is um unfair I'll say that largely unfair. Now there's a perception of Arkansas that's probably accurate. Um, but I'm, I'm, I know that that perception can be true of any state just depends on what part of the state you're in. Right. So, so there was something there now Conway where I am specifically the number one employers, uh, which shocks a lot of people is, um, high tech industry, also medicine and of course, higher education. So the three top employers for our community are technology, medicine, and higher education. That probably is not consistent with the joke you have about Arkansas. Bucks the stereotype. It bucks the stereotype. Now, it's something that I feel very comfortable in. Um, Just technology and, you know, those sort of things are, we have two major hospitals here, three major universities, or two major universities and then a college. So those things, um, it does effect so when you think about that when you think about um let's just think about tech ceos those kind of leaders are not typically suit and ties right Mm -hmm. they're younger they're entrepreneurial they think outside of the box they're um very factual based they look at the numbers they talk about the numbers they make quick decisions so that's the kind of leader that these this community is looking for and Mm -hmm. so um, knowing that helps a lot. Higher education, of course, having master's degrees and things like that helps here. 
And so um, just kind of getting into the routine and the rhythm of who Conway is, at the same time, we are still in the natural state. So I really enjoy kayaking and those sort of things. And so there's this whole blend of personalities that really comes out. We call ourselves, or I joke often, call us the CEO church. So there's a lot of CEOs, a lot of um, uh, CFOs, those sort of things in our church. And that affects, you can't just walk into a meeting with the deacons and just kind of like give it half-hearted effort. Those people in that room, uh, I mean, they they lead multi-million dollar organizations Mm. and they expect you to know what you're talking about and Mm. to present it in a nice and a... um, a respectable way. So yeah. you got to know all that stuff. And um, I think that that has really helped um, being here because it just kind of fits my personality, the way I like yeah. to um, approach things. Yeah. So when you think about how your church uh, is engaging the university culture, that tech culture, um, what are some different things that you that you can think of that have been key and in, in helping your church develop kind of like an outward focus, evangelistic focus and stuff like that. Yeah. So the, the university culture was another shift because of course we were downtown mm-hmm. and now we're out by the university. So the church always had an awareness when you're in a, when, a, when you're in a town called the city of colleges, you have an awareness that there's college students here, but that wasn't the focal point of our ministry. I believe, and I have said this many times, God put Second Baptist on this corner in this town to reach college students. Now, articulating that has been eye-opening to let the church know that. Now, here's where the caveat is, because if you say that, if we are going to be a church that leverages toward the college student, you will often have a certain sort of perception of what that church looks like. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any problem with that necessarily. However, I just don't find it to be scripturally helpful. Mm -hmm. So we are a church that tries to reach college students, but we do not try to reach them to a college ministry. We reach them to a family. So that is, that is the distinction. We are reaching college students to a family. Mm -hmm. There are just cultural reasons for that. When a college student is away from home, they need a family. There are missional reasons for that. Um, college students need to plug into an actual local church, not a parachurch organization, and certainly not um, a gathering of just like like demographics, you know, because if you reach them to that, they're going to leave, they're going to graduate, they're going to go elsewhere. And that's the other missional aspect to this. The city of Conway grows because on average for several years, decades, 50% of UCA students stay in Conway. So they get jobs, they get married, they buy houses. They come here, they get married, they stay. So church growth-wise, if we reach them as freshmen, then 50% of them are going to stay. So that's great. So that's a great um, demographic. Well, then what do you do with the other 50%? The way that we communicate that is we're going to send that other 50% all over the world to be missionaries in their communities. So we're Mm -hmm. trying to reach these college students knowing that 50% of them are going to leave us. But we want them to leave us and go to healthy full demographic churches, not just cool cutting edge, whatever you want to call that, uh, ministries in their area. And so I think we do a disservice if we were to reach college students to a college ministry, then they graduate out of our college ministry and then they go off to another area that doesn't have our college ministry. Well, of course, they're going to get disengaged. But if they go off to another area that has a church that is made up of all the demographics, 
that loves all the demographics and understands that that's what we call the second family. Mm -hmm. Then the second family, there's lots of churches all over the world that are second family. And so you can be a part of a second family wherever you go. Yeah. Well, you know, we're in a, a university city as well. Mm -hmm. We've been blessed with some amazing college students in our church. And we experience a lot of that same aspect, but like 50% seems really high to me. Like it's just like based, I mean, I, I'm one of the people who went to UK, gotten plugged into our church where I'm on staff now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I've stuck around and I have a fair amount of friends, but to think about way less than 50%. So that's like, that's a gift, man. Like, isn't it? That's yeah. awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. If you just focus on that and you, let's say you, and I know we're pastors and we're very spiritual and we don't really consider the numbers. That's not our concern at all. <laughs> but if you were to be that way, which you shouldn't be, but if you were, then that alone, I mean, over time is going to reap massive benefits, you know, yeah. Four years—that's quite a few students—and then, and then they're going to get married, and they're going to buy houses, and then they're going to have children. And so, you've got to build a whole ministry from cradle to the grave for these people to plug into and connect to. Then you have to consider things like suburbs and where people, where young families buy. And so, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun stuff. Um, but that is the linchpin to our mission. Um, it's not—I mean, I've only been here two years, but I get really juiced. I get really excited about the idea of fifty stay. 50 go what are you going to do to train the 50 that are going mm-hmm. how are you going to keep the 50 that stay that's massive i mean it's just yeah. it's fun it'll keep you on your toes all the time especially when you're talking yeah. about a a four-year liberal college yeah well that's cool so uh when you think about discipleship let's talk a little bit about um how you view uh, preaching ministry as a as a form of discipleship and so mm-hmm. i'd love to hear two things i'd love to hear just kind of like what you think about that idea in and of itself, how preaching does disciple. Um, but also like, you know, what are some keys to how you prepare and how you um, specifically try to prepare a message uh, for a somewhat diverse group of, of university type mm-hmm. people, tech people, that type of stuff. Yeah, so discipleship, and this will probably get you, hopefully it doesn't get you bad. Um, Twitter messages. Um, but essentially I view discipleship primarily through the whole church disciples. Okay. Yeah. I know that individuals disciple individuals. I get that. I believe it. I agree with you. I also believe that there is a strength in churches producing disciples. And so let me, let me explain that. So Miss Weist is the, is the, probably the, the, the biggest key to me hearing the gospel. All right. Um, brother Stevens was probably a large, um, influencer in me developing a love for the church. Uh, Travis is one of the major influencers that got me, um, involved in student ministry and loving the, the not loved, um, brother Adams, you know, I grew up in a fundamental, so there were brothers and sisters and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, brother Adams is one of the reasons that I also got involved in student ministry. So I get that, uh, you know, individuals disciple individuals. However, I was discipled by the church. And I, so I see a lot of value in making sure everything has synergy, making sure everything's pushing in the same direction, making sure that we are creating environments, structures in which organic things can flow. I think sometimes churches are to their, they handicap themselves when they only focus on the organic 
they handicap themselves when they only are worried about the structure at the detriment of the organic. And so, mm-hmm. so for that purpose, I'm very simplistic, boil things down. You have the Sunday morning service, you have small groups. Then you have events that are designed so that our folks can invite other folks, share, show, show and share the gospel is what I say. Say the, say the gospel words, not just mm-hmm. life on life, say, and that's sharing the gospel, but showing the gospel. So yeah. why are all these people in this, this church who are very purple politically, um, very diverse economically, somewhat diverse educationally? Why do they love one another? Well, we're showing them that the gospel brings all people together. And so, mm-hmm. so that's sort of the role uh, preaching plays. Mark Driscoll said preaching was the air attack. Small groups were the ground attack. And I love that. So in our discipleship strategy, I preach the same thing that the small groups are going to discuss. Mm -hmm. They are one and the same. Now, this isn't the purpose of this show. You'll hear a lot of people say they're sermon-based small groups. We're actually small small groups-based sermons, but um, that's a small caveat that we could talk about another time. But Hmm. so that's all of that is related together now. And so that's what I see my role as. Um, Am I supposed to be pouring in one-on-one and discipling and coaching people? Yes, absolutely. But is there great strength in preaching to the thousand and then separating them into groups where they can apply that and show and share the gospel to people that they love? Sure. Mm, yeah. and, and so when you see it simplistically, then you see what your role is and you see how you can do things. And then you run alongside that role. Preaching to a diverse group is difficult. Mm-hmm. But there are two things that I really try to do is consider them. Mm-hmm. So there's always these, I follow an Andy Stanley sort of preaching for preaching for a change model in my preaching. Now, you know, that might be another thing that gets people tweeting at you or they might tweet at me. I'm at Joe Wick if you want to tweet at me and I will ignore it there as well. So the, um, I, I get, yes, Andy says some off the wall stuff. And some of it just flat wrong. Um, But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about his style of preaching. And so (laughs) I'm just talking about the way he builds a sermon. And so I do that. I add a few things. I think there should be an explicit gospel presentation within the the scripture, not necessarily like the faith presentation or the Romans road, but this is how the gospel brings this thing to light. So I add that into Andy's approach there. And there's a segment in there called the you section, Y-O-U, in which you are, you know, you're connecting the audience. And so in that moment, I always want to make sure I'm considering across the board, how does this text or this topic or this pain point or this perceived need or whatever, how does it flesh itself out to the college student? How does it flesh itself out to the CEO? How does it flesh itself out to the single mom, the recent divorcee, all these sort of things. And so you bring those things to light. And I think that's one way to connect. The other way I think is to connect is to be yourself. And I don't want to be that authentic, you know, that word <laughs> that word's destroyed be genuine authentic whatever it is just be who you are yeah but open it up so i'm going to give a lot of football illustrations i'm going to give a lot of kayaking illustrations i'm going to give illustrations of parenting boys i only have three boys and so i parent boys but i will regularly say something along the lines of you don't have to like football in fact you could think football's stupid but it's the same as if you like crocheting or if you like cars or if you like this in this aspect. And so I always take my personal illustration and then let them explore it or think of it in their regards. 
I think the other side of that that is very under talked about, people don't really refer to it a lot, is when you preach the text expositionally, when you preach the point of the text to the original audience, well, then you let the Holy Spirit apply that to people where they are. And so mm, yeah, I, I think good. that there's a lot of changing. I say change your illustrations, don't change the text. And a lot mm. of times people are trying to shove their text into the illustration and you got that whole horse and cart backwards. Mm. And so, man, just give great illustrations that apply to everybody. And, and yeah. think of times when you were in college. Think of times when you were managing. Think of times when you were parenting and then use those illustrations. Mm. Well, that's helpful. Uh, so think about leadership. Um, Think back, think back on uh, the 20 years of, of ministry, full-time ministry experience that, that you've uh, had. What's maybe one of the best leadership lessons you've learned through that experience? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I would say, man, a couple of things, but they kind of relate to one another. Go for it. The first one would be, you know, I, I believe that, I believe principally speaking in scripture, I don't think that the Bible is nearly as obsessed with leadership as we are. Mm. I think that the Bible is much more concerned about what we call, what I call followership. Mm. So God did not, I, I don't see a lot of commands in scripture where he's like, Hey, I want you to be a fantastic leader. Um, mm. I just think that when you are a God follower, you become a, a more effective leader. Hmm. Um, I think leadership can be corrupted. Obviously, Hitler is a great example of a very yeah. powerful person who corrupted leadership. But so I would be much more concerned with following Christ than I would be with leading people. So hmm. that has been a principle for my life. What does God want me to do? I'm not really concerned whether or not the church likes me. I'm much more concerned with whether or not I'm being faithful to what God tells me to be. Mm, and so that, that once you change that perspective, I think you'll, you may turn around and see that there's a big church behind you. You may turn around and see there's not a very big church around you. But I think if you do that, you just won't turn around that much. It just mm. doesn't matter. It, you know, yeah. you are following. And so God wants you to be compassionate. He wants you to care about people. He wants you to love the least of these. And so I would say focus on that. And I think so to go along with that, not only are we obsessed with leadership, I think we are also sort of obsessed with the pastoral role, um, almost to our detriment. I think we've idolized, well, I am the senior pastor. I am the lead pastor. Therefore, I need a private parking spot and I need my own bathroom and I need this inflated salary. And, um, you know, I want everybody to refer to me as pastor. Mm -hmm. And we let people say things of us. We let people give us praise. We're not owed. And so I think one of the things I often say, and this is something I know people can argue with biblically, and I'm, I'm glad for them to do it. I just play my role. I know I'm the lead pastor. I get that. Nobody has to tell me that. I know when we go into meetings that ultimately somebody's going to have to make the bottom call. You know, this is what we're going to do. However, that just that should just be so rare. And so when I go into a meeting and I have a team of people, nine out of ten times I'm not making the call. Why am I not making the call? Because it's a children's ministry decision. It's a student ministry decision. My role is to back them, is to support them, is to make sure we're pointed in the same direction. 
My role at this church is communication. I'm a preacher. I'm a speaker. That's what I'm uniquely good at that the rest of my team is not as good at. But they have other things as well. So I think those two things go together to not be so obsessed with leadership, be more obsessed with following, and not be so obsessed with pastoring and be more obsessed with being a part of a team. And uh, those two things have yielded massive benefits and fruit, as I've seen in my ministry and in the ministry of others. Yeah. Well, that's just such a good reminder, too, to to keep the main thing the main thing, to, to focus on who you are in Christ and what, you know, being a disciple first, like, you know, God forbid it, anything that would ever take you from ministry, but, like, if you're ever out of ministry, like, you can still be a disciple even though you're not a leader or a pastor or, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. have an official title, but you're always going to be walking with the Lord. So I think that's a good reminder to, to keep us focused on that. Yeah. Um, so kind of closing up, um, what are a few books or resources that have been helpful for you, have shaped your leadership that you might recommend our listeners checking out? Oh man, I'm the world's worst at naming things. Um, so let me, that's why show notes are a beautiful thing. I'll, I'll find what you're talking about. <laughs> Let me pull up my Kindle. Um, there was a book I read uh, not too long ago that I was just glued to. I loved it and um, loved it so much I cannot remember the name of it. Let me see here. Man, some of the other ones that are popping, like as I'm scrolling through Kindle here, of course, Design to Lead was yeah. a massive help for me. Breaking Growth Barriers was one I fought for a long time to read because I thought, well, oh, that's so superficial. I'm not reading Breaking yeah. Growth Barriers, but it was much more about the pastor. Mm-hmm. The Pastor by uh, Peterson is also a phenomenal book. And um, those are some that are just popping out as I'm scrolling through here. You know, and I just I just can't find this other book, but I'll have to, I'll have to message you later on what that well, was. Well, if we can figure out the mystery book, that would be... That, I'm sure people would be really overjoyed. Oh, it was to, so good. It was so good. And the, my the professor... suspense is building very strong. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to message it to you. <laughs> well, if I find if he does find it, I'll uh, I'll include that in the show notes. But yeah, that would be great. It. Yep. Well, Josh, thanks so much for coming on. This is such a such an awesome episode to hear your perspective, how God's uh, shaped you and taught you so much through leadership, um, and really. Seeing him work through you, through your church, to to make disciples, to pursue the Great Commission. So thanks for coming on today. Yeah, man, really beneficial. And uh, thanks again. Absolutely glad to be here. Thanks for listening to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe, share, and rate so that others can be impacted as well. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at GCL Pod. And join us again next week for another episode of the Great Commission Leadership Podcast.